While continuing his search for the missing Dr. Boyford, our hero Frank Einstein is abducted by the Silencer, a sinister secret operative. Next, he meets the Moth, a mysterious costumed crusader. Is he naughty? Is he nice? Does he remember to call his mother? And Frank and Joe finally find the bizarrely mutated Boyford. Is he still human or is he much more? Lurking danger, madcap antics, fiendish freaks. That's today on Just Another Fanboy. Who did this? A madman, Your Honor! You're a madman! What kind of madman? That sweet madman. Good God, this is a madman! You're a madman. He's a madman! Does that make me sound like a madman? We are dealing with a madman. Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of Just Another Fanboy, the podcast that took one too many Ambien last night and now feels like it's living life in a world where the very air around it is made of jello. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and we are here today to check in once again on the adventures of Mr. Frank Einstein with Madman Comics number 13. This issue was published by Dark Horse in May of 1999. It sold for $2.95, and it is entitled The Exit of Dr. Boyford Part 2, Silence of the Moth. It was written by Mike Allred, with art by Mike Allred, and colors by Laura Allred. And remember, if you need to get caught up, the easiest way for you to do so, if you aren't already there, is to check out the Just Another Fanboy Reads Madman Comics podcast feed, because they're all there, each and every one, all 22 previous episodes on one feed. So yeah, if you haven't done that, you best get out there and go do that. Get off that bike, get out your car, climb that building, wash those sneakers, dust the shelves, scour the pan, flip the channels. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what else I can add here. Just, just forget all that and go listen to the back catalog of episodes if you have not already done so. And heck, even if you have done so, just do it anyway, because they're fun. All right? Let's get into this issue, shall we? That guy is a madman. As the issue opens, Frank has arrived in a parking lot outside the convention center, wherein Joe and her father are attending an exterminators convention called Extermicon, an entomology fair. He's got himself a jar full of bees that he needs analyzed. But first, He's got to get to Joe and ask for her help. The problem, however, is that he has no idea how to find her within the convention center. And so pulling a megaphone from his bag or a random parked car outside the building, I don't know where he got this megaphone from. It looks like he just pulled it out of a random car because there is a uh, a panel here on the second page where his legs are sticking out the window of a car. And he's going, aha, idea. And suddenly he's got a megaphone. So he uses that megaphone and he begins calling out for Joe. Eventually, Joe and her father come to a window and Joe yells down, asking Frank why he didn't just go to the front desk and have them call up. Frank realizing that, yeah, that would have made more sense to go to the front desk, doesn't really have a lot to say about it. And so Joe tells him to hang on that she's coming down. As Frank waits, he is approached by two men who, to me, look a lot like Conan O'Brien and Andy Richter. 
They are not, it seems, the late night talk show duo, but are instead a couple of fellas who are up to no good as they bustle Frank over toward a car where a man in a mask and costume is waiting to shoot Frank in the shoulder with a tranquilizer dart. Joe arrives just in time to see Frank's unconscious body being put into the car before they drive away, and she is unable to help in any fashion. Inside the car, Frank wakes and meets the masked man called the Silencer. He and the two late-night talk show duo doppelgangers work for an unnamed agency that's been keeping tabs on Frank because they want Dr. Boyford. When the unnamed agency is eluded to, Frank asks if it is Tri-Eye, and the silencer states that he is not at liberty to say. However, they do know, or at least they believe, that Frank knows the whereabouts of Professor Boyford, and they want him to take them to the big brainy guy. In fact, they explained that they had a surveillance team in a helicopter following the swarm of bees that Frank encountered when the team went missing. And it wasn't until Frank, according to them, this Conan and Andy lookalike duo and the mysterious silencer, they, they tell him that it wasn't until Frank made contact with a known assassin that the agency realized that Frank had to be involved. Why would you reach out to an assassin if you're not involved? And that he could lead them to Dr. Boyford. But Frank says, I, I didn't meet with any assassins. Sure you did, they tell him. Your girlfriend's dad is like this super well-known assassin. In fact, Conan tells him that the reason Joe and her father are at this convention is because he's a cleaner. Lombard is conducting a seminar on the art of bloodless killing and that you can't get in without the proper credentials. Frank's not buying any of it, and he tries to escape through the sunroof when the car screeches to a halt to avoid another masked man in a costume who swoops down from the sky to land right in the road, right in the front of the car. And this new guy is the moth. And we find out he was spying on Frank when he encountered the bee swarm and was able to shoot a tracking device onto Frank's jetpack, which he's still carrying with him, you know, in a bag. Furthermore, he knows what happened to the team in the helicopter and he's willing to take them all to it if they agree to cut him in on. Well, they only hint that there's something good to be had once they find what they're looking for, which is something to do with Dr. Boyford. So the moth takes them to the site of the downed helicopter, but there are no agents to be found. Agent 1315, or Andy Richter, blames Frank and just starts throwing fists. That's when Joe arrives with a freaking gun and tells Frank to come with her. She's got them all covered. Both Conan and Andy mock Joe like nobody's business. Ouch, watch out, she's got us covered. Oh no, oh my, they say, acting as if a girl with a gun is no big deal. But suddenly, before anybody can do anything, there is a sudden flash and time just stops all around them. Birds float motionless in the sky. And while they don't exactly know what's going on, Agent 315, or Andy Richter, decides he's going to do something about one of these birds that's frozen there in midair, and he pulls a gun to shoot it. Frank tells him not to. Joe tells him not to. Conan, or the agent that looks like Conan, he pulls a gun as well. 
And then this is where it starts to get really weird because suddenly Conan and Andy lose their faces, just a big blank patch of skin over the front of their head where their face should be. Then their clothes disappear, then their skin, then all of their insides as their skeletons blow away in the wind. The silencer and the moth realize that this is Dr. Boyford's doing when the ground opens up beneath them, revealing a small rocket which blasts off into the sky. In its place, down in the pit, is Dr. Boyford himself, still just a giant brain with a face and a pair of tiny legs, feet, arms, and hands. The silencer decides at that moment to take over the operation, but Frank tries to stop him. The silencer points some kind of clawed wrist weapon at Frank, threatening him if he doesn't back off. And so the moth points his own weapon at the silencer. It's some sort of pistol that looks a bit like the one Han Solo used in all them Star Wars movies, which is one of my favorite Star Wars weapons. If you needed to know that, Joe, who's taking care of her man, then points her gun at both the silencer and the moth. And before we know it, we got us a standoff. But then Dr. Boyford just starts to fall in on himself and dissolve. Frank jumps into him thinking he can help when the whole area is suddenly hit by a flash flood, taking Boyford and Frank away in its icy waters. And that's in essence how the issue ends. It was a pretty weird issue, which isn't always a good thing, but it's not always a bad thing either. I was a little bit confused in places, but let's go through the sucker first. Let's start with the cover. This cover was penciled by Mike Allred and inked by Steve Rude, and it shows a big brain in the foreground with a hand sticking out of it, and the brain is glowing, and then standing in the background, looking toward the camera where the brain is, is the silencer, the moth, Frank, and Joe, and there are shadows on a, on a rock wall behind them of our four figures as they look on in alarm at a this freaking glowing brain. It's a really cool cover. This is one of my favorite of the Madman Comics covers. So just looking through the issue, a couple of things I want to point out. First off, as Frank is calling up to the convention center using his megaphone, when Joe and her father step out onto the balcony of their room, and as Joe is calling down to Frank and asking, why couldn't he just go to the front desk and have them call up to them? And Frank's like, uh, front desk? Oh, yeah. He, we, we see the panel is looking down at Frank and the jar of bees is next to him. And the bees have managed to remove the lid of the jar. This is like a mason jar, basically. And I'm assuming the bees took the lid off the jar because... The bees are escaping from the jar and the jar's lid is like floating there amongst this swarm of bees. So I'm assuming that they managed to, from the inside, unscrew the lid or maybe some other bees, you know, followed them and they unscrewed the lid from the outside. Either way, the lid is now off and the bees fly away and nobody seems to notice because it's at that point that our two agents show up who, like I said, look a heck of a lot like Conan O'Brien and Andy Richter. And I have to assume they're supposed to. My only question is why. I'm assuming it's just that Allred's a big fan of The Late Show with Conan O'Brien and wanted to include them in this issue. And knowing that Conan O'Brien is kind of a nerd 
at the same time because he he goes i believe he goes to the san diego comic-con every year he has a presence there i don't know how much he's into reading comics but i know he's embraced that whole nerd culture the silencer looks pretty cool he's got kind of a black and grayish blue costume i don't know if i've mentioned it before but i'm, I'm sure i have multiple times but i'm a bit colorblind so what shade of blue this is i can't really adequately describe i'm not 100 confident in even calling it blue it kind of matches the same color as frank's gloves but he's got a helmet on with it, it looks like one of those biking helmets that has the the streamline air spoiler thing that 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 slides off the back of the helmet and uh red goggles visor thing so you you can't see his face at all he, he looks very mysterious and he's got a wrist rocket that he points at Frank. I don't know if these guys are part of try. They don't admit to anything. I was really confused at first when the moth shows up. I don't know which page this is because they're not numbered. If you're, if you're looking at it in the Madman Library edition, I'm looking at pages 68 and 69, but uh, the top three panels on 60 uh, on page 69, there's this Moment where basically the moth is convincing the silencer and the two agents that they need to work with him. He can tell them where the helicopter is. And he explains to the others, I've been watching all the activity. It's laughable. If you and your guest here cut me in, give me access to, shall we call them benefits? And then the next panel just says, done. And it looks, this is where I got confused. It took me a bit to realize probably what's going on here, because to me, it looks like we see the, the, the legs and feet of the moth above just the top of the car. That's all we see. And taken alone, I would assume that the moth is jumping off of the top of the car. And I couldn't understand why he would just suddenly get up on the car and jump off and what that has to do with with anybody following him. And then I realized, oh no, he's flying above the car and the car is following him. And he takes them to this secluded area, this kind of tranquil spot next to a, a stream or a river with a covered bridge. Joe pulls up in a taxi cab. So we know at this point that she's following them, that she's been able to at least hail a cab and say, follow that car. The moth takes them down by the the river where we see this may actually even be the riverbed maybe the river is is dry but the helicopter is it has crashed there the moth explains that he's triangulated a kind of migratory pattern of this quote new breed of bees and that they keep flying between snap city and buzztown until they encountered frank and once they did that the swarm's behavior changed radically and Andy asks him what he's on. The moth tells him, no, it's true. The, the helicopter, they were following the swarm when it doubled back on them and basically surrounded the helicopter. We get this image of the moth flying through the air with the helicopter above him and just a swarm, swarm of what's like millions of bees completely surrounding this helicopter which must have gummed up its rotors, and that's what made it crash. There are no agents in the helicopter, and Andy, the Andy doppelganger agent, assumes that Frank has something to do with it and takes a swing at Frank, and that's when Joe shows up. And Joe's got a gun, but 
the fact that Joe shows up with a gun and uses it to to try to get Frank back leads us as the reader to believe that maybe Joe's dad is an assassin and Joe knows. You know, even if we believed that Joe's father was an assassin when the agents brought it up, probably a lot of us were thinking, well, but Joe, she she doesn't have any idea, right? Even though she goes to the convention with him every year, there, there's got to be something that that he has her attend or do or distract her so he can go do his seminars on assassination and, and whatnot. So she doesn't know that he's an assassin. Assassin? Assassin, that she doesn't know that he's an assassin. She just thinks he's uh, attending the uh, a bug convention. But no, now that she's appeared with a gun and she seems to know how to use it, there's a little bit more about Joe that, that, that we don't know quite yet. And for me, this was my favorite part of the entire issue. I loved the silencer. I loved the moth even better. I like this character of the moth. I hope we see him a lot going forward. But Joe having this mysterious background in assassination that might be a family thing, you know, the family business. The family business. That has me very intrigued, especially since we've already learned that in Frank's previous life before he died, he may have been an assassin as well. Did he know Mr. Lombard in his previous life? Did he work for Mr. Lombard? You know, is there a connection going back even that far? Because... At this point, what we know about Joe and Frank is that after Frank was brought to life by Dr. Boyford, that Dr. Boyford set up a like a, a private eye business for Frank. Once Frank became comfortable wearing the Mr. Excitement costume and, and whatnot, he set up this, this business for him. And in the same building was this other business. And they had a receptionist, and that was Joe. And it was like love at first sight. But did she know him before? I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of it kind of feels like that's what they're going to, going to here. But I'm just talking out of my butt at this point. It's after Joe shows up that everything just gets super weird. Time freezes. Conan and Andy are going to shoot a frozen bird. Everything starts to rumble and shake. The Andy and Conan doppelganger agents, suddenly their faces just, they no longer have faces. It's just a patch of skin. Their clothes suddenly rip from their bodies. Their skin suddenly rips from their bodies. Their muscles and organs and, and all that are suddenly ripped off of their skeletons. There is nothing left but their skeletons, which kind of burst apart and drift away in the wind. There's there's a, uh, I don't know if this is supposed to be the bees, but there are a swarm of particles that are flying all around them. And it's these swarm of particles that appear to have ripped off the agent's clothes and their skin and their organs and their, their guts and their intestines and their eyeballs and then burst their skeletons apart because the swarm of whatever these particles are, again, this could be the bees, they start swarming around Frank and Joe and the silencer and the moth, and they hear this voice, you are here. And then this buzzing gets really loud and the bees come together if they are bees. And you know what they say about Arby's. We have the meat. Yeah, that was dumb. Anyway, if this, if these are the bees that we're looking at, and I'm assuming at this point that they are because of the buzz, they form 
Dr. Boyford, or at least a avatar of Dr. Boyford, who is floating there in the air with more bees surrounding him and trailing under him. And he's got one of those little antenna things sticking out of the top of his forehead like Frank usually gets. And we hear more from Dr. Boyford's son to me. And then a rocket ship just bursts out of the ground with a great sound effects that goes poof, followed by blam as more of the rocket comes out of the ground. The silencer is his theory at this point, and he's very vocal about it, is that Dr. Boyford's controlling all of this. He is controlling or creating an immense force. The figure of Dr. Boyford that was formed by the bees disappears. The rocket takes off. I don't know what the rocket is supposed to signify. I don't know if there's anybody in the rocket. I don't know what the point of the rocket is at all, because once the rocket is gone, there's this big crater now in the ground, and they can see at the bottom of this crater is... Dr. Boyford, he's, he's, the, he's the big brain with the face and the little arms and legs. And he's saying, follow. As the rocket takes off, you hear a voice from in the crater that says, follow. Frank kneels at the edge of the crater and he looks down in. He says, Dr. Boyford, is that you? Joe says, it is him. And then from the crater, you hear him say once again, follow. He says it twice. What are they, are they supposed to follow the rocket? What is, what is the deal with the rocket? I find it very confusing. I hope we learn more about the rocket. And I have to assume that we will. But Joe and Frank go down into the crater to help Dr. Boyford. But the silencer follows him down and says that he he will take it from here. He has these little claws that come out of the back of his hand or his costume that seem to be energized like stun claws or something. And he's pointing them at Frank. He's telling Frank, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm simply going to call for air support and have him lifted out of here. And then the moth is standing behind the silencer, and he's got his gun out, and he's telling the silencer, you're not going to call anybody, at least not until I have had a chance to get what I need from this phenomenon. <laughs> Joe pulls her gun, and then, yeah, we've got this whole standoff thing going on. And that's when Dr. Boyford just kind of starts collapsing in on himself. He seems to be turning very malleable and shrinking or dissolving. There's like a, these sound effects that make it sound like he's dissolving, like in, in, in a, in a, well, like a sound like a, a soda would make when it's popping and fizzing. But Frank goes to grab on to Dr. Boyford and he's kind of pulled into him as he's just turning into putty. Basically Joe runs to help Frank, but, the moth grabs her and holds her back. The silencer looks up and he can see that the birds are flying once again so that time is normal. Joe kicks the moth in the shin to get him to let go of her, saying that, you know, you could have helped him. And the silencer says, it's no use, it's over, and that Frank is gone. And there's just what appears to be just this biological material, this big blob of brain matter that's left there on the ground. And the moth wants to get a sample of it when suddenly the river or if it was a riverbed that was dry, suddenly water is just filling it up. Just a, a big flood that's starting from within the pit. So it's this crater. So the water is underground. And, and now that the camera has backed out and I'm looking at some of these panels, this is a dry riverbed. There's a dam 
that has all the water of, of probably a lake at this point on the other side. And as the crater is filling with water and overflow and it's overflowing, the dam breaks apart and floods the entire area with water. Joe is trying to climb her way free when the moth flies over and grabs her up and, and puts her onto this bridge. And then he goes back and he gets the silencer and they look down at this water in, in this river. And there's now a whirlpool, that, which is probably located over the top of where this crater was. And this whirlpool is spinning away and then it gets smaller and smaller and then just bloop, just, just regular flowing water at this point. And the moth makes this comment. I'd say both our missions have been scrubbed. The silencer says, looks like, and starts to walk away. The moth puts his hands on Joe and tells her or, or asks her, can I drop you somewhere? And she reels back and says, don't touch me, calls them both jerks. And then she walks away with a very sad look on her face. And that's how the issue ends. I don't know what's going on. Frank obviously was taken somewhere by Dr. Boyford. I don't know. Dr. Boyford must be super powerful at this point because I don't know if what was left there was his his brain and that he is able to put his his mental faculties into other creatures such as these bees and that he is so powerful that he doesn't need that body anymore. He can do whatever he needs to using um, bees and other animals and such. I don't know, but I'm looking forward to finding out. Now, I think as I said last time, we have entered into the Dark Horse issues that I have not read. These are new stories to me. And while I'm not going to say this is one of my favorites, this was pretty fun. I really enjoyed this one. It was really weird in moments, but that's kind of typical of a madman book. It's you're, you're the, the fun thing about madman books is that you're going to get some issues that are just kind of a straightforward tale of adventure and comedy, and you're really going to enjoy it. And then the next issue, you're going to get just this freaking weird, surreal, crazy, mind bending kind of stuff that you, you need a moment to reflect on it. And for me, I think I had to end up reading this issue three times before I really got everything that I felt like I needed from it. I think a lot of people would read it and go, why, why is he acting like this is confusing and weird? He's, well, well, I'm kind of an idiot. I've mentioned that before. If there's any kind of deep, not even deep, it could be very shallow inner meaning to a story. I tend not to pick up on it at first. If there's a theme, if they're trying to, to use the story to tell a, a message, I, I don't always pick up on it. And Frankly, everything that had to do with Dr. Boyford and his big brain and stopping time and the bees and and suddenly his the old version of Dr. Boyford appearing floating in midair with the bees around him. I just was really confused about all that. And like I said, it took me a few times to really get comfortable with this story. I'm still I still don't know exactly what's going on, but I'm comfortable enough to know that whatever's going on. I'm fairly confident we're going to get more information the further in we go. I mean, this is only part two of the exit of Dr. Boyford. I think there's four parts altogether. So we'll get more information in the next issue. And hopefully that will clear up a lot of things for me. Um, I feel like I can't talk about any of this madman stuff without talking about the art, though I say the same thing every time. It's beautiful. The combination of, of Mike Allred's art 
and Laura Allred's colors are just, it's just perfect. There's just a, they've, they've just perfected this look that I really dig with these books. And I, I'm loath to use the word simple because it's, it's like there's, it's not really simple. You, you maybe look at it at first and feel that there's a simplicity to their, to their art and their story. And it's not that at all. It's, it's got a very classic, almost golden age look to it. It's like if you could take some of that golden age sensibility and improve upon it and modernize it, that's what, that's what Mike Allred makes me think of with, with a uh, great big old dollop of pop art thrown in on top of it. And I love it. Solid, bright colors, not always solid. You know, there's Laura Allred's really good about doing the shading when necessary, but not going over the top. You know how much that drives me kind of crazy when people really shade that the the skin tone to try to accentuate every crease and line in somebody's face. And it just doesn't always end up looking good. But yeah, big surprise. I enjoyed this issue. I love the art and I cannot, cannot wait for the next one. In fact, I'm probably going to read the next issue today. I may not talk about it next week. I with as much time as I have recently to create podcasts, record them, edit them alongside trying to edit podcasts for clients. And if you're wondering what I mean by that, stick around. I'll have a little promo at the very end, but I don't have a lot of time. There's not too much to to, to time on my hands. I have too little to, to, to time on my hands. And because of that, these episodes of Just Another Fanboy may come every other week. I was going to put JAF classic episodes in between. You know, one week would be a regular Just Another Fanboy episode in which we're looking at Madman. The next week would be a JAF classic episode. And then the following week, you know, we would alternate. But if you listen to the previous episode, which was a JAF classic episode, then you know that the next classic episode from back in 2000 and seven is an episode I recorded with the guys from Raging Bullets. And we talk about the first Madman Atomic Comics issue from Image. And so I'm going to hold on to that until I get to Madman Atomic Comics issue number one. So you can get probably the week before I talk about the issue here, I will release the uh, JAF Classics issue. So you'll get me and a couple of guys talking about the issue back when it came out. And then the following week, you'll get me talking about it, having read it for the first time since it came out. Because I, I believe I've only read that that issue and a handful of the issues following just one time. And then that was about the time that I stopped reading comics altogether. But that's it. That's what I got for this episode, folks. Next time, we'll be looking at part three of The Exit of Dr. Boyford with Madman Comics issue number 14. And for me anyways, I hope it starts making a bit more sense. It's, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to come across like I just have no idea what's going on. I mean, obviously we're looking for Dr. Boyford. He has reached some kind of level of power that is almost unknowable. Frank's not the only one looking for him. There's at least two other parties that's looking for Dr. Boyford. I just want to know what happened with Frank and, and kind of what's behind what Dr. Boyford can do. And hopefully we'll learn a bit more of that in the next issue. Until then, folks, my name is Steven and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Yeah.
The Just Another Fanboy Podcast is a Stephen or Else production. Questions and comments can be directed to justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or, and in return, I'm going to do my very best to give you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate this show wherever available and share this podcast with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job. Inside the car, Frank waits. He waits. He waits. Waits. Cause he never had the chance to love her. Knew he always wanted to do the things that I don't, I can't remember the words to that freaking song. Bonus points for anybody who can send me an email at just another fanboy at gmail.com and tell me what song that was. Oh no, no, honey, what have you done? Oh, good. That, that, that's the sound of my gun. I don't know the, the real lyrics to that one either. I just remember him going, yeah, yeah. It's another bonus point. Email, Gmail, just another fanboy, gmail.com. What song is that? Does your podcast sound like this? Show I'm a host. My name is Steven. And a thousand miles over there to my right is another host, Mr. Ed Moore. Howdy, folks. And let me say, well, what if it sounded like this instead? For show I'm a host. My name is Steven. And a thousand miles over there to my right is another host, Mr. Ed Moore. Howdy, folks. And let me say, well, now it can. All right. Sorry to sound like a used car salesman here, but my name is Stephen Orr, and I host a variety of podcasts such as Just Another Fanboy, The Superman Super Show, and Hither Came Conan. But I'm also trying to get my foot into the podcast editing game. I mean... I have been recording and editing my own shows for years, and dang it, I want to cash in on that. So (laughs) tell me, do you love podcasting but hate editing? Do you have a number of episodes recorded but no time at all to get them edited for release? Do you need help and you just aren't sure what to do? Well, I'm here to give you a solution. Hire me. I'll clean up your audio, beef up your sound, remove all your ums and your throat clearings and sneezes and burps, and I'll add your music and whatnot. And you know what? My prices are super reasonable. Just reach out to me at stevenorelse at gmail.com. That's S-T-E-E-V-E-N-O-R-R-Else at gmail.com, and we can talk. Tell me what you need, and I'll let you know what I can do for you, and more importantly, quote you a cost. How do you know if I'm any good? Well, I edited this, didn't I? Stephen or else at gmail.com. Email me today.